0: Welcome welcome welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast episode 439. And I'm joined today by Beth Granville. A little Friday bonus for your ears. Enjoy that, ladies and gentlemen. If you heard Wednesday's episode with the wonderful Lucy Pinder, you will have heard us mention Beth a few times. She co-hosts the Smashing Sundays podcast, which I'm a big fan of, uh w- With Lucy. And she's also an amazing comedian writer performer all of these wonderful multifaceted things so i wanted to get into all of that Um, and i wanted to talk about her growing up in a tiny village essentially in wales and her journey to the entertainment industry as such so so yeah we get into all of that and you're gonna love it as ever we're brought to you by speech head over there to get merch goodies all sorts of wonderful things essentially the weather's so mad at the moment we've got something for everything. We've got sunglasses, we've got umbrellas, we've got hoodies, we've got beanies, we've got, we've literally got swimsuits, we've got Scroobius Pip swimsuits. So man, if you don't want to head over and get involved in that, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, but you can also head to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip where I gave them a little insight into next week's guest, which is probably the biggest guest I've ever had. Um, so you might want to head there and have a little look it's it's an exciting one it's been a long time coming yeah let's get into the episode this is the wonderful Beth Granville on the Distraction Pieces podcast this piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Hi, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. The reason I wanted to start recording s- straight away, um, I'm joined by Beth Granville and I've listened to you on your podcast, we've interacted on, on social media, but we don't know each other at all and I know very little about you. So I thought the sooner we can start rolling, the more, you know, real and, and exciting and genuine it can be. Thank you for taking the time, I'm excited to chat.
1: Thank you for having me. Yeah, me too. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Oh
0: well, thank you very
1: much. Yeah, it's doing nothing for my imposter syndrome. This you've had Mary J. Blige on this. I mean, <laughs> I've I've had to I've had to have a gin and tonic to you know to get myself calm for this one.
0: I love it. The the Mary J. B- 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 Blige one is the one I always use as, as an example of um, the patriarchy because <laughs> I've had Mary J. Blige on and she's not in my top. 20. 20 most listened to episodes or top 50 even I don't think and she's an absolute living legend icon yeah so anytime I look at numbers and it's obviously there's wonderful people like Louis Theroux and Adam Buxton and Stuart Lee all high up but all middle-aged white men uh, 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 a lot of that top top chunk so yeah it's it's interesting how these things work
1: yeah yeah my brother went Holy shit, mate, is that Mary J Blige on there? What are you going to say? I was like, all right, Joe, Fucking hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good that he's hyped you up and got you nice yeah, and ready. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: how are you? How are you? What's been going on?
1: Is everything, I'm everything well. good? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I'm in Wales at the moment. Lovely. Back in Wales for... I was living in London 11 years. Yep. And I'm back in Wales for a bit of a stint. This is where I'm from. This is where, like, all my family are. I was going
0: to ask that. I'd, I'd seen, like pictures or instagram stories or whatever from wales i assume again a lot of people had to do a lot of changes during this pandemic has that been the kind of uh, a factor in yeah it was
1: it was a bit
0: whether people are forced to or if they're like oh actually i don't like being away from my my loved ones in, in this weird time
1: yeah there was a bit of that i um My mum's a nurse in the NHS and and my brother was at the time. He started a Welsh cake business in lockdown. But I came back to just be a bit of support and my my parents have got a garden. So I was like, Uh it's going to be better being here in lockdown. Uh And so I stayed and I thought, actually, I've missed a lot of this and I've missed a lot of these people. And, you know, call a housing crisis a housing crisis. Like London rent is insane. So you've got to be working a lot. And doing a lot to justify being there, right? Yeah,
0: it's craziness.
1: And I was just in this little flat, thinking, no.
0: Nah. I've I've lived in in the same small town my whole life, and I'm a thirty minute train journey from London. And everyone's always asked me, "Oh, why don't you move to London?" I'm like, no, nah, because I'm thirty <laughs> minutes away, and London is just I can't justify it. I completely yeah. understand it's, and particularly in in our industries, even if you're doing well at the moment. There's no stability in these industries and the thought of of getting locked into some crazy London prices just terrifies me.
1: Oh, it's terrifying. And I've always had to do so many different jobs. I was a nanny for years um, and loads of teaching and writing jobs here and there. Not enough to ever really rely on and just not having that, having the rug whipped away was yeah, really terrifying. You just yeah. thought, oh, this isn't stable enough. I need to sort of lean into my freedoms and be a bit nomadic and use it to kind of, well, yeah, I was a nanny for 10 years. So I kind of wow. left that job, which now having six months away from it is sort of forming the basis of something new I'm writing now. Cause I'm like, that was wild. Yeah, That was something I started doing for six months. thought, oh, I'll do this while I, while I write my new play. And there there I was 10 years later, part of the family. And the I was going to say, was I that with on, one family or was that? One family, yeah. One family, that's amazing. It was mad. And it was always something, you know, it was such a weird thing because I'd be in these writer's rooms and be at the BBC and doing all these different things. And sometimes I'd be doing interviews on BBC and I'd have the kids with me just being like, right, shh, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, doing that, going, well, I'm not going to tell anyone I do that because that's embarrassing and it makes me seem like I'm not successful if I'm having to do that as well. And then as the years went on, I thought, no, I'm really proud of this. This is an important yeah. job. And, you know, those jobs that we just don't sort of respect enough as a society, we don't realise how important they are. And it was a few turning points with the family where I just thought, no, I'm really proud of this bit of my life, actually. And and the, the wild journey I went on with them having some distance has made me go I think that might be a HBO series actually of all the shit I've done over the years.
0: It's gotta be right it definitely sounds like it and I think we had a really interesting point I'd say about only about four or five years ago and it kind of happened on social media and I want to talk to you at some point about social media as well because I want to know your it fascinates me still just different people's relationships are with it and stuff like that but a few years back there was a spate of those stories that of this actor off of this show is is working in a coffee shop or is doing this and doing yes. that. And the really cool thing was there was a public backlash of people going fuck off, but yeah. like, leave them alone. They've got jobs and again as as we would literally j- just saying anything in the creative industry, you could have an amazing job for 4 or 5 months and then you could not work for a year, you know, yeah. particularly in acting or writing TV shows, radio, all of these things. You could have huge success and then not a thing for ages. So the weird kind of shaming that was involved and the and the feeling that you have to present as if you're on the same level as as fucking Will Smith or Mary J. Blige or, or whomever else it has to be, <laughs> rather than going, nah, this is, is what I'm doing. When my first single came out, I was really adamant that in interviews and everything, I'd talk about the fact... I live in my bedroom at my mum's house. Yeah. And I recorded half the vocals in my bedroom at my mum's house because I ain't got any money. <laughs> yeah. I'm just starting at this and, and, and things like that. And I think there should be a lot more more honesty about, yeah, what people do. I think there's – it should be something that people are proud of, that you're you're working hard in whatever job rather than going – because, again, you also see a lot of people in this industry in – I keep broadly referring to this industry, but, but in entertainment – who will get skin and in debt because they think they're above normal jobs. And again, yeah. that's far more gross than than someone going, right, I've worked... Again, that sounds like, as you say, it sounds like an HBO dr- a drama <laughs> that you've been doing this amazing nanny job with the same family, so you've effectively had a child, had, had children <laughs> of your own. Three, yeah. <laughs> three, because that's a length of time that it's not like it's a, oh, I looked after these kids for a bit. It's like you've brought up three kids,
1: yeah, it's crazy. And all the
0: while, you're doing award-winning radio shows, you're doing stand-up, you're doing all sorts of other stuff. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's
1: crazy. And, the, and it's really funny because the amount of things I've sort of taken the kids to over the years or things they've been a part of, and they've got no interest. They're all into sports. So, like, yeah. it's not really – they've they've enjoyed coming to see me perform. And, you know, as they've got older, so the youngest one's 17 now. <laughs> she was like – I actually think it would be quite fun to go out and have a glass of wine with you. And on my last day there they made me dinner and we got I got so horrendously drunk and oh, I love it. you know it was like crying and all of this emotion coming out and talking about all these memories and and she texted me the next day the youngest girl and said you was funny last night and I went oh perfect yeah and she uh, apparently had to carry me into an Uber and I was like Well, the first week I started with you, I carried you down from a tree crying. So I think that's a perfect ending to this, to this whole 10 years. And they're like mates now. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, that's, that's beautiful. I think (laughs) let's leave it at that. But they're like, yeah, they're, they're such, so proud of the lovely little adults they are now. You know, they're like 17, 18 and 21 and yeah, and just I took some time away, took a breather, went to Europe a bit and I'm, writing a film at the moment and mm-hmm. I was sort of having to pitch some other ideas and just having that time to Wales has sort of given me that breathing space to just be a writer and that's kind of all I've ever wanted is to not have to do all of these things yeah. and I'm like but all these things inform everything and I, yeah. I think being in Wales as well like it just feels so much richer like for comedy material you know yeah. like yeah. I went down when I when I properly came back and me and my mum and dad went down to like the local X's Club because there was a band on, and I went up to the bar and I was like, Oh, um, hi, could I could I get a gin and tonic? And um she went, Yeah, love. Do you want normal or pink? And I went, Oh, um <laughs> And I was like, Oh, oh the pink one, please. And I said to my mum, I was like, Oh, so fucking funny. You're So used to um Do you want the Hendrix or do you want the? And I'm always in London anyway. Going well, my heart's saying Hendrix, but my head's probably saying I love the Gordons. I love the house. Actually,
0: either brand or flavour, at least, yeah, exactly,
1: yeah, normal or pink. (laughs) Yeah, and I had oh, just a run of stuff. Like I went to get um. Someone recommended somebody. I had a bit of Botox, and someone, my mum's friend, had recommended going to this woman, and I was like. You know, it was my first time, so I was like a bit nervous and I don't really like needles, but I was like, everyone's like, oh, it'll make you look a bit fresher. Just a little bit of Botox in your forehead. That'd be nice. So I thought, oh, fuck it. I'll go. Anyway, so I turn up at this woman's house and I knock the door and she's shouting from down the stairs and she's like, come in, love. And she went, now, listen, don't panic when you seize my face. Right. I've just injected something in me. And she went, and my face won't move. But that's not what I'm going to do to you. Don't panic when I come downstairs. And I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell, what am I doing? I walk in, there's chinchillas. Like, she's got all these dogs and mums in the other room that she's looking after. And there's this, like, bed. And so i just sitting on this bed and there's all these fucking animals everywhere. And she comes out and her face was just full of filler and Botox I'm thinking oh my god I'm making the worst fucking mistake of my life anyway I lie back welcome to Wales and um and she leans over me with this needle and she went just before she's about to put it in my forehead she goes you know I haven't got a license don't you and I went what (laughs) and she went and I was like shit I thought, oh, my God. The I people here, the shit that happens. Just going down the shop. And I think, like, I grew up here. This is the reason I write comedy. This is where all these characters have come from, you know. And That's
0: exactly what I was going to say. The characters you find. And I think there's two kind of extremes of that kind of writing. I think there's obviously this country, which I think is just oh, astounding and amazing. Oh. But the Cockfields was, was one recently that... I absolutely adored and it's all on the Isle of Wight and it's so much more tame but literally everything you see you've is so relatable and so wonderful and warm and and cozy and yeah yeah I love that so yeah it's great whereabouts in Wales did you 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 grow up is that where you are now I assume
1: yeah so I grew up um in a little town just outside Cardiff
0: mm-hmm.
1: my family were from the valleys originally and I spent a lot of time back and forth up there so my sitcom which I wrote for BBC Radio yeah that's set in the valleys set, yeah. set in a hair salon in the valleys right. um so I've I've always spent lots of time back and forth but I just yeah I just love the community and just the yeah the characters and just the way of life and everything I don't know like I, I love London don't get me wrong I had a fucking great time but like yeah. I don't know seeing Rowan Atkinson and the Show just isn't really a good story is it do you know what I mean no
0: it's not. It's it's not going to inspire you much.
1: It's not that inspiring. You you're busy and you're having fun, and I it's been quite hedonistic, and I've had some fucking incredible experiences, and you know, and have been able to build my career there. Um, mm. and you know, will always have a home in London. I love it, but yeah, there is something that makes me really creative here. I think. Yeah, I
0: I, I love that you live. You're from just outside Cardiff because mm. my my brother used to live in Lampeter. And I think living kind of near to somewhere like Cardiff or Swansea, but not in, is the perfect for the kind of the characters and the the creativity. You're still near the bright lights or big cities, the kind of things that might make you think, oh, I want to do, I want to write, I want to do comedy, I want to do this and that, rather than purely I want to farm or work here or do this or, or, or whatever else. So... I think it's the perfect combination to not be in the middle of it all and just take city life as the only life, but be just near enough to get all of the richness of characters, the unusualness, the stuff that you don't know is unusual until you move to London or start hanging out in Cardiff or whatever else, the stuff that's yeah. completely normal. And then you go, all right, is that not what everyone does? Okay, that's yeah, that's exactly, interesting. Yeah. So, so what kind of a kid were you, I guess? Was comedy and writing always on on your radar or a target for you?
1: Yeah, I was just obsessed with it. I've always been obsessed with it. I just watched stuff like Faulty Towers as a religion, really. And Rick yeah. Mayle, I was obsessed with. And just, yeah, I guess, forced my family to, like every, you know, actor and writer and creative says, they, I guess, end up forcing their family to watch them do their own shows. Yeah. And um, there was no drama in my school or anything. And And I, you know, from a a working class family and background, like there wasn't none of my family are in the industry. And and so they always tried their best to help me. You know, I went to Amdram and stuff, but nobody something that I I never thought I would even have to think about going to London was being working class. But as you start going into the industry, you're like. Oh, fuck, all these people. I I didn't know what the Edinburgh Festival was. I didn't know what a producer was. Like, I I didn't even know, you know, at school it was very much like, oh, you're not clever enough for university, so go and do hair and beauty at Barry College, you know, like that energy. So without my family just thinking I'm funny and encouraging me and trying their best to help me find a way into the industry. Yeah my mum said she was like hanging out the washing years ago and I was doing some impression of somebody and you know kind of making her laugh and she said I was like this sounds really saccharine but she said I was like mum do you think I'll ever be able to make other people laugh or just you, <laughs> you <love it. laughs> and my friends and then I, I did go to uni yeah and study drama and then Oh, where so, did you go? Um, Bristol Ue, mm-hmm. Bristol, not that one. Um, yep. Not Bristol University. I did accidentally apply there and got a firm no, because I had a BTEC in performing arts. So you can't, <laughs> can't, go to, can't go to a top division university, didn't know what one of those was, with a BTEC. But I went to Bristol Ue, studied yep. drama, then thought, well, what the fuck do I do now? So started teaching drama a bit, and then one of my best mates was like, "Right, no, come on." And my my first ever boyfriend, actually credit where credit's due, um, <laughs> he um, he'd just done the Edinburgh Fringe. He was doing stand up comedy, and he was very funny. And he was like, "Look, you're fucking funny. Do something. I bet you've written stuff. I bet you've." And I was like, "Yeah, I have, but I don't know, like what it, you know?" Because I was always just writing stuff and just absorbing comedy. I'm I'm, abs- you know. I I'll just watch episodes of things and just analyse them, and I yeah. just sit there and I love the beats of comedy and what makes something funny if somebody says it but not somebody else, and just timing and rhythm and character. I just yeah. I, I've just always been obsessed with it. And um, anyway, I,
0: I, I chatted earlier today with um, Tom Davis, and he was was saying something that I've never done before because I'm similar on that. Just I want to absorb all drama, comedy, all of this, and really analyse like actors and all these performances. But Tom was saying one of the things he loves to do is download a script. So he was saying Bridesmaids, as an example.
1: He'll he'll get the
0: Bridesmaids script, he'll put Bridesmaids on and he'll watch and read along and see what isn't in there and see what's improvised and try and understand all of that. And I'm like, that sounds like a great Friday night to me. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm definitely choosing some films to do that with because that's just...
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. You feel like you're behind the scenes, right? Yeah, great fun. And looking at what, yeah, what makes something work and just what a good comic performer can do to a line just fascinates me. And I still do live sketches um, with my sketch partner, Garnon, and he is just a fucking genius. And he did, um, he plays a part in in my radio series, and he got a fucking standing ovation saying the words knock, knock when he (laughs) had to do it as a, he literally, and I thought, How? It's just beautiful to watch people and, you know, to play with that myself and take inspiration from other actors. Just some people just, you know, we've had Felicity Montague, Ralph Little, Miles Jupp. Yeah, you know really fucking strong comic actors come and do it and I'm just in awe just watching what they bring yeah. when I have I've written down these words yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah, like yeah. I'm now watching my comedy heroes say my words and just making it a hundred times better than it ever was in my head yeah. it's yeah it's really an incredible thing
0: it's such a collaboration isn't it because yeah. I think I think I've said numerous times, I think writers are really underrated in TV and film and radio because of how important they are. But I've also come to learn that they definitely are, but it's also with that collaboration. It's what they've they've written. It's then what that actor brings to it and where they take that and drag that up. And I've chatted to numerous writers now on the podcast or on sets who are like, it makes writing so much easier. Now I've seen them perform it, it's like... I can write this character oh. for the rest of my life. Now yeah. I know that as said Miles Jupp's playing them. It's like I I I can write Miles Jupp for 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 the rest of, the, of my day's oh, kind of thing. Oh god so, yeah, he's fun yeah.
1: to write for. Yeah. So fun. Yeah, it really does. And and that um I spoke to someone recently about a script she was working on and because I do a bit of script consultancy as well because yeah. the comedy geek in me I'm kind of trying to be the person I didn't have 10 12 years ago where Love it. Do a bit of myth busting, helping people to make their scripts better, and telling yeah. them all the shit I didn't know, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I work on commissioned scripts and people who are just starting out. I just, you know, no two writers are ever going to write the same thing. You don't. There's no competition there. Mm. You know, we we could both go on the same holiday, you and I, yeah. and come back and have a completely different turn of events. Yeah, you know, so like course. everybody's views are different, and I love just. Yes. Um, So I said to this woman, I was like, have someone in mind, you know, like anyone, have Julia Davis in your head for that character. I promise you, even if she doesn't end up playing it, knowing what she can do and what she can bring will just inspire you so much. And it can feel like a weird thing to do when the actor hasn't said yes. But I'm like, yeah, trust me, just that will make the character richer because you'll be imagining what they'll bring. And it's so exciting.
0: I do it constantly. And because from working together, Stephen Graham's be- become a pal he's someone that you can easily imagine in a role and really write for and all that and i had
1: God, yeah.
0: a couple of different scripts in development with warp and b- b- both of them they were like well clearly that one's based on St- stevie right you're clearly going to try and twist stevie's arm to be in this yeah of course 100 yeah. <laughs> percent. as soon as <laughs> yeah, the character yeah, yeah. walks on screen they're like Well, we know who that is, and we probably know that's Joe Gilgan, because we know what you're into. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes it far better for writing, and then those things can develop, and and it doesn't matter if you don't get that person. Someone else will bring something else, but they'll have a a starting point on the page. I think that's a great bit of advice.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was something I was sort of nervous to do years ago, and then I thought, no, fuck it, like imagine that person doing it and yeah you just get you just get so many ideas and and making them just a real person a 3d person rather than somebody on a page a name on a page yeah yeah is gonna help so much i think and that's why meeting those people having those interactions in real life really i found that so hard in lockdown i was writing i write on a, a sketch show and um I was like, I can't write any I can't write any sketches because I'm not having any interactions with anyone. I'm not meeting yeah. anybody. And that's that is where I get um so much of my material is just yeah. being social, having that conversation in a shop or on a train, or I love just talking to people and, and not having that. I hated in lockdown, I absolutely hated it, and I really felt like my material suffered. Yeah. You know, I got that's asked to write really a web series and and luckily, it was sort of about the situation we were in, and that helped and helped me be creative. But other than that, I just felt creatively dead. I thought, well, what's to laugh about at the moment? This is this is so depressing, and and yeah, sketches I find will happen after. Being in a coffee shop or being, you know, you'll just meet a character that'll inspire something, or a funny situation will happen, and then you'll take it to, you know, so many different levels, and and yeah. you've got a comedy sketch. So without that, I thought, oh, I'm dead. We need to be let out because <laughs> I don't have a career.
0: Yeah. So 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 what was your route? So because Bristol is an amazing place for the arts and for nurturing creativity. I think it's an inspirational place to just walk around. You know, it's got that energy and, and that vibe. But did you kind of put some stuff together and head up to the Fringe? Or did you p- put some stuff together l- l- locally? What was the first step from the boyfriend of the time kind of saying, you should do something here?
1: Um, yeah, we well, he actually hadn't been speaking for two years. And he just came out the woodwork and went, no, I've just done the Fringe. You've got to do it. you funny. He was oh, like, amazing. I still hate you, but but you should do it. Um <laughs> So I will always be grateful to him for that. I mean, that's a real um, seal
0: of approval, the breaking honestly. of the of the angry silence to say, look, I don't like <laughs> you, but in spite of that, this is your world." <laughs> yeah, here. yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Fair dues. Um So my degree was creative, but I was in this weird vacuum of didn't think about what was happening in life after that. Mm. So didn't again, didn't know what the fringe was. And as much as sort of I love the education side of it, nobody was really talking about what you do afterwards. And I, I feel like there's so much room for improvement across the whole education system. But I just think a massive flaw across secondary school, college and uni is that they just don't prepare you for the real world at no. all and don't talk about what careers people can go into and I, I've got ADHD and I think I just spent so much time being told off and beating myself up for not being able to work right. in a certain way and really struggling with that stuff and I'm like oh I've just a couple of people had thought to say oh this might be good or you might be good at this or this is how your brain's working maybe try doing stuff like this so I, I, I didn't think about it at uni and then like I said, taught drama for a bit. I was a play worker for a bit in Cardiff, taught drama. And then that's when my ex-boyfriend came back, said that. So the comedy sketches that I had written that I was just doing for fun by myself, yeah. I forced a friend of mine who's an actor to do them with me. So we did at Barry mm-hmm. memo, which is, I don't know if they've ever had comedy sketches there before or since, um, but it's just this little room in Barry where we did these sketches and we thought there'd be about 20 people there. Well, the place was fucking packed. Who knew if you put something on that people would come?
0: Amazing.
1: I nearly threw up, and my mate was going. He was like, was like, I, 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 can't do it. I'm not doing it." And I was like, oh, "I mean, we've got to fucking do it now. They're we've got here. to fucking do it." There's like thirty boys in Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> like all waiting to see some comedy now. And we've said we do comedy, <laughs> so like this is this is happening now. So we did a double whiskey. And just went on. And we had this bit which is probably incredibly naff now, but where Fran was doing these sort of warm-ups on stage. And I just heard somebody from the back of the room go, What the fuck? <laughs> I thought, oh, My god, what have we done? Anyway, we did these sketches, they did go down really fucking well, and that felt so good. And loads of people were like, Right, where are you doing that? Where can we see that? I get loads of great feedback. Yeah. And I was like, Right, i got the buzz for this now. And and then this this sounds this sounds mad especially in the world we're in now, but this was sort of back in 2007, and seven, eight. Fran, uh, we got his boyfriend to film us doing these sketches and we put them on a DVD and I posted them to Ruth Jones's house yeah just which sounds fucking batshit now but that was 2007 so um I like, yeah well she'll bloody love these she's she does comedy in Wales well well, I didn't know how to do anything like I just didn't know what the world was so we did post them to her and then she got in touch and was like these are brilliant come in for a meeting so did some stuff and then I did a bit in Gavin and Stacey, and then based on one of the characters I'd done and what I'd sent to her, she wrote me a little part in Stella, playing this beauty therapist that I'd done. Um, And then, yeah, stuff went from there, really. And again, I think there's there's something so
0: important in that, and I think because we live in a world now where you can Google everything or you, you can tweet people and ask them what to do, it really stops people just finding a way. Like I was yeah. massive on it. I have people hit me up often saying, "Oh, what can I do to get through here or get through there?" And my answer is normally just, "Don't ask me the question. Just go out and do <laughs> yeah, stuff." Yeah. Like, don't, don't. You're not going to get anywhere if if you'd asked someone advice, they would not have said, "Put it on a DVD and <laughs> send it <laughs> to Ruth's house." They wouldn't have said that. But because you didn't know, right. you went, "All right, I'll do this." I had <laughs> a, a similar thing. Our first bit of radio play was because we were one like CDR, nothing professional, just a CDR and sent a handwritten note into John Kennedy at XFM and he played it the night he got it. And it was, oh, it was one of them was like, we didn't know you meant to get a radio plugger and get this and get that and do all yeah. these other things. It was like, he plays like really good stuff. Let's see if he'll play our stuff. And again, we never got to hear our first airplay because he didn't announce it or anything because it was just, I was on the way into the studio and I found this and I've played it. And I think it's good. That's so fucking here brilliant. We are. But again, no one would tell you to do that. And I think that's I think that's the key. I love that. I love that. Just going. And again, Maverick I think approach. the internet is also incredibly dis- distracting. I think there's a lot to be said for small towns and, and boredom because you can sit there and go, "What are we going to do?" And you'll you'll eventually land on. Let's burn a, a DVD. And, yeah, <laughs> and
1: a I, I. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is like it's so non. I think there's like two sides of it. I think part of the industry is really closed off, and it's quite secretive. There's no way of accessing that information. Of mm-hmm. you know, like I used to go and see people talk, and they'd be like. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was dicking around in my bedroom and then and then I had this meeting with someone at the BBC and I go, wait, 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 what happened in between that? What what do you mean? <laughs> like you want to know there's no yeah linear route. Yeah. There's no clear. So some stuff is, I think, hidden away. There's not mm-hmm. enough clear routes into the arts for people yep. if you're not well connected and you're not funded, essentially, because having money helps. So, you know, because you need lots of time and space to create and make. And if you're financially fucked, that's really hard to do, you know. And that's something I've had to balance my whole career and life, really. But then there is that non-linear thing where everybody's journey is so different. Yeah. So it's... It's really hard to to guide people because it will be different for everyone. And you've just gotta you've got to make what you love and follow yeah. your passion, right? And just go, right, I'm really into this. I'm just gonna see if anyone else is. I remember Fran and I after the, the sketch success, uh, we wrote this script, this pilot, and um I remember so we spent ages writing the script and um we were fucking thrilled with it. And um I remember us having this discussion going. Right, so who should we get to make it? Well, should we get Channel 4? Oh, I don't know if it's very Channel 4. Maybe BBC 2. That would be a good sort. Like, as if we had the choice. Like, as if anyone was ever going to make this. Yeah. We'll, go, well, maybe Scott. Well, no, we won't send it to them because I think they'll probably want it. Anyway, we send off all these scripts. Nothing back, obviously. Yeah. Um, and then Fran had done a part in Doctor Who. Season an actor. And uh, he sent it to Russell T. Davis, the script. And said, I'm wow. just going to see what he thinks of it. Fuck it. Again, being brazen, being bold, like yeah. not knowing and just trying stuff. So we sent it to him. Eight months later, he sends an email back saying, I'm so sorry. Um, I haven't got back till now. He's filming Torchwood. And um, he said, I absolutely love this. It's one of the best things I've read in years. I've got you a meeting with someone at the BBC who who had previously ignored the, the script. We did send it to her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he set us up with a meeting. It went into development. It didn't get the green light in the end. I think the Tories cut a load of funding from the BBC that year. Yeah. It was just after the Tories had got in. And, um, well, my, no, my vendetta started before that. I'm Welsh. It was Thatcher, obviously. But, like, um, that didn't get made. And then they said, well, come to us with the next thing you write. And I'm like, do you mean I'm never writing again? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. I thought I was having a TV series and I'm not. This is this is a bloody shambles. Like, yeah. I've, worked, I've done all of this, got all that excitement, all those years. And... And then, you know, by that point, I've been at it sort of four years and you think, I mean, I can't survive on earning three grand every four years Mm -hmm. for how do you do this? Like, how do you that, that? Yeah. And I think I've just had to find a way to always create, always write and find a way to sustain that. So just go, do you know what? I've just got to keep doing what I love and find a way to finance that and navigate that and you know breathe into it just relax into it and go I've just got to have fun and that's why I love still doing the live comedy sketches like I love nothing more than doing that in a room above a pub you know backyard comedy just going and that adrenaline and finding out what makes people laugh what works what doesn't I just I think you know for anybody doing anything creative you've just got to find a way to 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 be able to keep making
0: I think there's there's such an important a, a lesson mixed in there for any particularly f- first time script writers is remembering it's your first script not your only script yeah it's meant to be your first and I had exactly uh, uh, what you were saying there I had the first script I wrote got optioned by warp and I was like this is the exact dream like warp and <laughs> the exact yeah, people yeah. I wanted to make this and then exactly she said it Commissioner Wall after Commissioner Wall, and it was Mark at, at at Wolf who said, "Look, we're going to keep working on this, but don't just sit there waiting for an email office. Start on the next script, and the script after that, and the script after that." And I was like, "What?" Because <laughs> again, in, in my mind, I was like, "Everything has gone into this script. we now I'm with the Dream Production Company. We it's happening, right?" And it was <laughs> yes, no, again, that's not how it works. Just you will have loads more ideas. You might do five scripts and the fifth one gets made and then we come back and do the first one because yeah. cause, cause that's now we've got through the door and things like that. And it's like, all oh, right. But it's <laughs> yeah. again, the best bit of advice. I I really related earlier when you were saying, or I, I found in lockdown, all I was doing was writing. Or when you were saying earlier about just creating and, and and bearing away, all I was doing was writing and I started to worry that I'm getting too comfortable with, I'll just write and then I'll move on to the next project. And yeah. I'm not really pushing <laughs> any of them to go any further. and That is the case now. Now things are opening up a bit more. It's now that mission. But yeah, I think... they. Do you think a... you'll know,
1: though? Do you think you have, like, with the stuff you're writing, do you think when the thing that you want to push... When when you've written the thing that you're like no for someone has to fucking make this do you think you'll know in your body do you think that maybe those things aren't
0: I've I've set a reminder on my on my <laughs> calendar that on on Monday I've chosen the people I'm going to send it to I finished it last week I've got that one and it's exactly just you said I was like I'd been working on it for ages but as soon as there was a specific thing that clicked in the idea I was like oh no this is the one that has to be the first. Introduction to to me as a writer, as a director, as everything. I want to do all of it, but um, yeah, yeah. It was exactly that. It was like, right, no, this is. And then again, I because I get a bit of insomnia and stuff like that, and I try to steer into it creatively. So I've overplanned. I was like in my head, I now know well this is the first one, and then, then once we've we've got this made and we've got loads of praise and awards. Then we'll go on to this one and we won't do this. The third one has to come. I know I wrote that earlier, but that takes more. I need to know more before I can start on that one. So, yeah, I've got kind of the rest of my career planned out, which, as we've said, it will change in an instant. And That's the beauty of these. It's like the fucking labyrinth, isn't it? You're like,
1: right, yeah, that's definitely happening. And then you've got to go through one of the doors and then the thing closes. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully, David Bowie's at the end. I don't know. So, 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 so,
0: how was it when you kind of found your way into into radio and because again it's 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 its own thing and you have found amazing a success in in writing for radio with shows that awards and record numbers on bbc wales and bbc sounds and things like that so yeah how's how's that been kind of going oh actually here's what i'm here's what's cl- clicking and working at the moment how was how was that
1: yeah, it was really freeing, actually, um, writing for radio, because it's sort of, you know, I'm a bit more of a like theatre background. And mm-hmm. I was like, it's similar. Like, in theatre, you don't limit yourself, because you just go, well, they'll make anything happen. They'll, you know, you can do incredible things on stage. And with radio, you're like, oh, yeah, nobody's going to budget check me if I want someone to fall through the ceiling, yeah. which did happen in one of the um, episodes. 800 pairs of hair straighteners fell through the ceiling with yeah. somebody falling on top of them. And um, that's really fun. What's fucking hard is having to explain everything. Sometimes I just sit there and I'd be like, oh, do you know what? All of this is in a look and it's going to take me a page to say that. Sometimes you'll have, I need need that character to have seen that happen from the back. And that would be such a brilliant little look. And somebody else could give a look. I'm doing this to you on Zoom now and this is a podcast. So I'm doing exactly the (laughs) thing I should be doing. (laughs) (laughs) But you go, oh, that would be a look and that would be a... And you can't. It has to be, you know, finding a way to have somebody out the back and knowing that they've seen what's happened. So you've yeah. got to be really creative sometimes. Sometimes it's very freeing and sometimes it's it can be difficult and you have to abandon some ideas because they don't work. But I love audio. So, like, yeah. writing for radio was a dream for me. It started as a... Foiled started as a, an Edinburgh show. So it was yeah. a, a play we did in a hair salon in Edinburgh. Um, again, on a fucking whim, because, which just came from me going, oh, I, I can't, there's no way I'm going to be able to find the money for mirrors and chairs and stuff. I wonder if I could do it in a hair salon. I, like, phoned the fringe office, and I was like, could I do a play in a hair salon, like, in an actual hair salon in Edinburgh? And they were like, well, I mean, yeah, it's not been done, but, you, you know, you could just... You'd have to phone it. a hair salon, get them to agree to it and then get a theatre licence to do it in the hair salon. I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. So, like, phone book and just phoned every hair salon in Edinburgh and loads of them were, like, really up for it, yeah, which was great. But then, I mean, it got very complicated and very expensive and a loan that I'm still paying off um, because it did end up going mad. And I was like, and I obviously wanted to pay everybody involved. So me Mm. and my writing partner as well, who I brought on to, because it was originally a short play that I'd done on my own and I wanted to do a full length. Loved writing with him. We'd met on a writing course. Um, So I was like, oh, do you want to come write this play with me? So anyway, it escalated, but it did really well. And we had like Kate Copstick and Paul Vale at the stage just give it like Mm. incredible reviews and it sold out and it was really... So some producers who saw it said, well, we had... Someone asked us if we wanted to do a TV option of for it mm-hmm. and I thought well that's probably gonna sit on somebody I'll get a grand for that and it'll sit on someone's desk and no one will make it because I'm not famous enough and I haven't yeah. had enough commissions so yeah we um and then we had an approach for radio and I thought well, that would be great so we took the world the characters into We ended up being yeah four series and just went on such a great journey with it it was it was so fun
0: uh, such a great and and powerful choice m- made there because you're right as a as a play it positioning itself actually in a hair salon will really jump out and really make this amazing a unique thing as a tv show it's in a hair salon do you know yeah, what? Yeah, everything yeah. in tv is on a set in a place and all this kind of thing so yeah can completely see how you can then go but hair salons are all about the conversation and the dialogue and the and 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 the audio and often not seeing what you're hearing yeah, if you know what I mean, it's yeah, overhearing yeah, 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 and stuff yeah. like that, and that that sounds perfect to then go no no this is radio, this is a radio so fun thing. for so radio you can just kind of...
1: and and the descriptions what you can say that people's over are... yeah I had this yeah. one episode where I was like someone had done something to my hair it was Ralph Little's episode <laughs> and I was like oh I look like a troll and I just thought that's that that's funnier hearing somebody whose hair has been made to look like one of those trolls from the 90s than seeing that would ever be so you can really have fun with the visuals of like the way they describe some of the customer's hair and and again building that that world of what I think so beautiful about Radio, And I guess it's the same with reading books, but you have to create it in your head. And I think there's Mm -hmm. something so amazing about we had so many incredible, so much incredible feedback with Foiled, and so many like lovely, loyal fans. And I thought all of those people will see that salon completely differently. That's and, and I was going to say, it'll be so road. much more personal because to yeah. all of them
0: it'll be the, the salon they went to as a kid or their mum went to yeah. or so on and so forth their nan went to and had to go and sit with them because their mum yes. was at work. All these different things, it'll personalise all of it. I love that.
1: Yeah, so it's so nice because I In and Out the Kitchen is one of my favourite radio comedies, um, Miles Jeff and Justin Edwards. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, how I see their house and their kitchen will be completely different to how they and everybody else sees it. And there is yeah. something... there is something really nice about that and we're yeah we're writing a feature film of it now so those characters in that world because we've just got a big story we want to tell with yeah. those characters yeah and we just feel there's still so much there that that'll be a really interesting thing to see what that looks like and I know you said about with your project now that you want to make and you want to produce direct yeah. you know have yeah. all that control and what makes you make that decision because I'm in this place now where I'm like I do have a vision, but there's probably other people that are much better at those certain jobs than me. But I feel like I want to have an element of control because I've I've made stuff as well. I've written for things. Yeah. I don't know if this happened to you, but like over the years I've written for things and it hasn't come out how I've wanted it. Or like I've been a part. I've said yes to a script and I've gone and done it because of the way it's been directed and edited and Oh, I did something before, and they laid this. They put this music on it, and I was like, "Why is that music on there? This is this yeah. is awful." Now it's a yeah. great script, some great performers, but because of the pace, the way it was directed or not directed, edited, and some music choices they made, I was like, "Oh my god!" And and so that because I've been, you know, I've had a few experiences where stuff, and that's why I like the control of, you know, doing live things. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of what makes you take the leap of going, I need to have more control here. I
0: I honestly think it's all about timing. And I'll try and kind of truncate this so I'm not just spending the, the last 20 minutes talking about myself. But with my music videos, the first few music videos, we had this amazing director, Nick Frew, and he did these amazing videos that launched our career. And on about the third or fourth one, he took me aside and said, look, every music video I'm directing for you, you've come up with the idea. You've got such a clear vision of it. You should just be doing it yourself. And that was kind of, a oh, okay. And then later on, I directed a load of my own videos and adored it. But then when I was working on scripts, like I said, I had a series in development with warp and they kept saying to me, you, you should direct this. Cause when I talked to them about it, I've, I, but because I'm such a film and TV nerd, it's all so clear in my head, but I wouldn't, I wasn't up for it. I was exactly as you were saying. I was like, there's people who are better at this, who have experience Mm. and all this. And it just happens that this project I've got to now, the way I've written it, it's really strangely intricate. And I've got quite an intricate mind. I I always maintain that the reason I've succeeded in in the arts, I reckon I've got a reasonable amount of talent, but I'm really fucking organized. And most people in the arts have l- loads of talent but aren't organised at all. So <laughs> I think I've got that nice balance. And, yeah, as I was working on this one, the more and more I thought about it, the more I was like, it would take me longer to explain this to a director than, do you know what I mean, to get a director yeah. up to the speed where I, the, the way I know this story and these characters, it would take me longer to get to teach it to someone else yeah. than to just do it myself. I could be completely wrong could be that when I actually send it to people, they turn around and go, oh, here's a director who'd be good or this or that. But yeah.
1: No, I'm sure you're right. And and that's the thing. And I think asking that question is probably the best starting point if you just blindly go, no, I've got this. Yeah. But if, you, if you're if yeah. you doubting yourself and asking questions, it probably means that you'll collaborate and, and ask other people as well, I, right?
0: I, I, I heard really good... St- I, I had Florence Pugh on the podcast and she was in a film called Lady Macbeth. It was one of the ones that really... Blew her up, and the director of that it was his debut movie, and she told a really good story about how he came on set on the first day and said, "Look, I really need all of you guys because I'm new to this. Like, this is going to be a collaboration. We're going to be a team. I know what I want, but you might have a better idea. You might know better. So, please, like, let's all work together on this." And that was instantly, and it's it's what it. it was in my films of the year list that year, and that was a really inspirational thing of going. Oh, you can go on there and be yeah. human and vulnerable. Yeah. You, you don't have to be the the version that we read about in books of these horrific, horrible directors that are abusing all of their cast yeah. and <laughs> pushing everyone to the absolute <laughs> limits. You can go out there and go, look, guys, this is f- 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 fucking exciting, but I'm a little bit scared because I haven't done this before. Like, like, let's let's put the right team together and make it work.
1: And then everyone relaxes, right, yeah, because we're all allowed to make mistakes, then,
0: yeah, so hearing stories like that, I guess we're kind of the seed planted in going right at some point i can I can make this work, and again, it's also, as you were saying on on the difference of t v or film and radio is this is the first script I've written that I'm like, this could be made quite cheaply, therefore I feel more comfortable asking someone to take a risk on me kind of thing, rather than other scripts where I'm like, we're going to have to spend millions on this. You need (laughs) someone who knows what they're doing. Whereas on this one, it's like, we could do this quite cheap and I think I could pull it off and make something really good. And again, I can completely see that on radio. You don't have to think about that. You don't have to be writing the script and thinking, I'd love to have this scene, but that's going to be a helicopter shot over this huge location and all this it's like no no we can add a helicopter and we can add the, like, yeah these things great. are far more affordable on radio yeah
1: yeah very so, affordable. I mean
0: we'll, we're going to run out of time soon so before we do speaking <clears> of audio I said what really brought you to my attention was Smashing Sundays I can't remember how I found it but I really enjoyed it how did that come about like how do you and Lucy know each other and what made you kind of come up with with that as a podcast
1: Lucy and I met at a party, a friend's party. So uh, actually the actress who plays Tanisha in Foiled, she, um, yep. Lucy and I met her at her party. And um, yes, we hit it off. We were dancing to Prince all night. Um, we just fell in love. We were just like, yeah, we were just like, well, we fucking have a great time together, don't we? Um, and then <clears throat> Lucy uh, moved to London and I was living in London already. So She came along to my birthday and we've kind of been inseparable ever since, really. And Smashing Sundays came out of... So we we both had quite similar. We were both in long-term relationships through our 20s and then both kind of became single at the same time. So we're both single and both sort of... We were talking about um, how hard Sundays can be when you're single sometimes, like certainly newly you know single I was a bit like oh this is a bit weird everybody does things with their partners and their kids if they have them or and I was like oh I had a couple of like a bit of a weird son I said to my mate Sean who was single do you ever find Sundays like a bit shit if you're single and he was like suicide Sundays oh no they're absolutely fine (laughs) (laughs) and I was like fuck anyway I started, like, doing, like, a mates thing and making an effort to sort of, you know, go for Sunday roasts, go to, like, a pub quiz, like, do stuff, like, make Sundays nice and sort of, you know, we're talking lots about just how strong your friendships are when you're single and, you Mm. know, I fucking love being single. Like, I, a a voice that I feel is really missing is, you know, I feel like so much comedy and so much that I see is, oh, it's all about being single, being tragic and, you know oh God, and then, oh, and, and when a show ends in, oh, and then I met the love of my life and now everything's great. And I, you know, and it's all very like Bridget Jones energy and very, isn't internet dating awful? I've never done internet dating. I tend to meet people in real life because I, I don't think internet dating would work for me. I do enjoy dating and seeing people and having yeah. fun, but I, I do love like the freedoms it gives me. And yeah, my, you know, I, I like my life. Yeah. And so- yeah, I was I was telling my writing partner about it when we were going on a trip to Wales. And I went, now we're absolutely smashing Sundays. And he went, well, there's your podcast title. Because yeah. Lucy and I had talked about doing a podcast. And I was like, oh my God, it is. And we were like, right, we have to do the podcast now. We've got a title. And we just decided to just chat about stuff we wanted to chat about and kind of be the voices that we sort of wish we'd had when we were younger, you know, to make you not terrified of being single in your 30s. and And just... It you know, we talk about loads of different things and we've had some fucking incredible guests on and ultimately it's just a nice platform to talk candidly about us and our lives and whatever topics going on at the time, you know, we'll have a chat like you do, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and all different things come out all the time, you know, we're not making it about that. But we do talk about dating experiences and, yeah. you know, th- th- of course there's shit things with being single as well, but I don't think there's any more shit things about being single than there are about being in a relationship, 100%. you know.
0: percent my, my mum's always been a, m- a massive inspiration to me because when her and my dad split up, she made a point, she basically made a list of things that she had to do on her own. So she took herself out for a meal on her own and took herself to the cinema on her own and went to Wales, strangely, on her own and did a little, um, went down this, like, mine shaft tour thing and because she wanted to make sure that she knew that she can do that. And if she wants to get in a relationship again, that's absolutely fine. But exactly as you say, not like she'd been kind of taught as she was growing up not from her parents but from society that yeah. you need to find a man and get in a relationship have children and then that's you sorted she was so adamant on that and i've got a few mates who are either single parents or just single who all say yeah your mum <laughs> that just oh, inspired us all because she just said she just was like no i want to be out and she goes on holiday on her own she goes and and again she's had relationships uh, uh, since my dad but it's never been a, a necessity as such so yeah I love it
1: yeah what's that Cher says um a man's a luxury like a dessert you know <laughs> I love it. Um, and love I'm like it. yeah and I'm always like open to a relationship like I'm not necessarily <clears> closed <throat> off to one like I've dated guys and girls over the last few years that I've had a great time with but it's just I, I don't need one for anything yeah. and I'm like if I meet someone I'm like do you know what I actually can't bear to be without them I have to and there's lots of compromise that goes into relationships, right? And lots you have to change to make it work, which is fair enough. But I'm yeah. like, it's got to be right. And it's got to be good. I'm not seeing that as the goal. I'm like, I'm having a great time doing this. And, and me and Lucy are appreciative as well. We, you know, we lived together for years. So we are grateful that we have each other mm-hmm. and we loved cohabiting. So, you know, we did have, the, you know, nice dinners together and stuff. But so so we were lucky to have that. But yeah. I think, yeah, your mum does sound like an inspiration, going and doing those things on your own because the possibilities of what can happen and the people you'll meet and the adventures you'll have. Is... It's
0: all exactly as you say. It's to be open to these things but not making it your goal. And I think I always yeah. used to remember as a teen going on nights out, there was a real turning point where me and my mates had gone nights out to have fun and then all of a sudden, one by one, my mates were going out to pool and that was it. And I was always on that kind of, I'm open to pulling, but I don't want to go home miserable because I haven't. I want to go and have a good night. And if I meet someone, wicked. That's fucking great. But I don't want it to be. And so many mates in my area, it became that. They'd be like three hours into the night. They'd be clearly like scouring about. (laughs) I haven't had any luck yet. And it's like, all right, cool.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's such a weird outlook. So again, I think you guys have got it spot on there. So, and it's, you're doing a new series. At the moment, right? It's coming back soon.
1: Yeah, again, we didn't do them in lockdown because part of what we loved about doing it, because you know, you do it for the love of it, right? Was yeah. we'd um go, we'd record it in the studio, we'd get a nice coffee, we'd meet our guest, you know, it was really nice to just meet up with someone in yeah. town, and it just felt like making nice connections, you know, with people. Yeah, and Completely. And like we just loved the ritual of it. Um, yeah. and so in lockdown, we sort of were a little bit we did some Insta lives and stuff, mm-hmm. but we were a little bit like, oh, what we loved about the podcast was being together, meeting somebody and that, you know, in-person kind of chemistry and that what that brought with it. So now that we can sort of be together and do that again, we're really excited to do a new series and, and get back on it and talk about some stuff because it, it does, wait. it keeps you sharp as well, doesn't it? And it's just, yeah, great, great chats to be had. And like, I just think it's so hard, like, especially be, being a woman in this industry anyway. I mean, being a woman in comedy is, as you know, I mean, so underrepresented. Like, mm-hmm. 9% of comedy is written by women, 9% yeah. and it's been the same for 10 years. And I think across, like, film, TV and radio, it's 16%. So mm-hmm. we're so underrepresented and it's sort of, podcasts are great for just giving you that platform to go, well, maybe people might want that and people might want to listen to that. And yeah. until people let us make more stuff that from our points of view, and we'll, you know, hear us on what we want to say and our lived experience, then we'll do it ourselves. (laughs) That's what I was
0: going to say. It's the beauty of podcasting is no one has to let you or give you permission. And that's why I said I've loved it. I've been doing it for, coming on for eight years now, I think. And again, it's exactly that. It's going, no, I choose exactly who I want to talk to, exactly what we do, exactly where the conversations go, and then it goes out. There's no one to... To check or tick off and say you should probably remove that or change that. It's like no, it's it's going out. It's our conversations. Well, it's been a pleasure having a chat, and this has flown by.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, it has.
0: And it's always a good good sign that my phone with my notes on. I've not even glanced at it because it was just easy to just, yeah, let the conversation flow. So that's always a sign oh. of a good chat. So, yeah, thank you very likewise,
1: much. likewise. I had some notes actually, I haven't looked at them either. Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you for choosing to talk to me when you do have the choice. I genuinely, like, really appreciate it. I'm such a fan and this has just been lush. So, it's, thank you. It's been a joy. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces.
0: There we go. That was Beth. I hope you enjoyed that. Go and get into Smashing Sundays. Go and just follow Beth and Lucy and Smashing Sundays on the socials. They're all really good, all really entertaining. Yeah, and enjoy all of that goodness. I'll be back next week, as said, with the biggest episode maybe ever of the distraction pieces podcast i might be teasing you with a little preview on monday so um, keep an eye on my socials um particularly instagram uh yeah until then stay safe and stay sane Titter.